So there you go, our very serious look at Canada, the day before Canada. Sorry about the bagged milk uh, deal. Uh, it's, it's not actually a Canada thing, it's an Ontario thing, and sometimes people in Ontario forget that what happens in Ontario is not true for the rest of Canada. When I moved here to Alberta, I looked and looked and looked, and uh, anyways. And, and to my American friends here this morning or watching online, this is really how we express our love to you. Uh, and hey, one of the ways we define ourselves as uh, Canadians is by how we're different from Americans, but it's all said in love, really sorry. So yeah, we do have a lot to celebrate, a heck of a lot to celebrate, and so much to give thanks God for as we celebrate Canada Day tomorrow. And let's really pray as we do. You pray when we sing our national anthem, if you think about it, God, keep our land uh, glorious and free. So uh, just on behalf of Fort City, to all of us who are Fort City, uh, happy Canada Day. Enjoy your day tomorrow. And today's a good day and a sad day with Daniel and Natalie leaving for Nova Scotia right after the service this morning. Daniel, where are you? I'm pretty sure your contract does not release you until midnight tonight. So we might have to dock you a half day's pay. But anyways... But seriously, our, our prayers go with you. Uh, you have served so well as a pastoral associate this year. Uh, um, the other thing is you might actually be our last pastoral associate. Uh, uh, pastoral associates have been funded by wildfire funds uh, that came uh, to us. And they, that's how we got these guys over the last few years, kind of on one and two year uh, contracts to kind of strengthen us in response uh, to the wildfire. And that's pretty well done now. But uh, you guys, it's been awesome to work with you this past year, to watch you grow. And uh, Daniel is going to be a, a youth and young adults pastor at a church just outside of Halifax. Uh, and I think you have just been well prepared for this whole new role in your life uh, um, from your year here. We're going to take some credit for your success in the future. So anyways, um, let me pray for you guys, uh, for uh, Daniel and Natalie before they go. Father God, we as a church family just want to thank Daniel and Natalie for... Uh, they're here with us, and we just pray your blessing on them as they uh, move back to the Maritimes, and just pray your anointing on them as they take on this new ministry where uh, Daniel will become this full-time pastor of youth and young adults. And so, Father, uh, give them a safe journey as they travel and uh, just anoint their ministry powerfully. And as you bless Natalie with good employment here, we pray that you will uh, go before them and help her to find good employment uh, in Halifax. And yeah, just thank you, Lord, for the privilege we've had to be able to work with them, help them grow, and send them off uh, for what you have for them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. So as you've probably figured out, <clears throat> today is uh, a baptism Sunday. And I didn't plan it to go this way, but today as we look at our next uh, story in our Jesus Story series, we follow what happens to Jesus immediately after he was baptized. Now, to the three of you getting baptized today, this might not be the message you want to hear before you get baptized. But on the other hand, it, it just might be what you need. Because today we're going to take a look at how the devil turned up right after Jesus was baptized. Sounds exciting, right? And by the way, if there are others of you who feel that God is calling you to be baptized, that now is your moment, the time is now, we would be willing to baptize you today after the message. You would need to go uh, maybe even about now and connect with Lucas at the back of the auditorium and he'll walk through with you what baptism means. And uh, so maybe you should talk to him while I give this message so you don't get scared off of baptism. Again, just saying. 
But seriously, there, there might be someone here this morning who's been holding off on baptism, and maybe today is your day. You know, every now and then, someone gets that nudge from the Holy Spirit, and if that happens to be you today, uh, Lucas is at the back, and you can talk to him even as I continue with my message. And yes, that's why I'm so well-dressed today in shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, immediately after uh, my message, it's my privilege to baptize one of the baptismal candidates. So I just hope that my untanned legs are not too much of a distraction. Okay. In the account of the life of Jesus, written by the Apostle Matthew, the third chapter is what Lucas spoke about last week, uh, where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Baptism is so important that Jesus chose to be baptized. I mean, if Jesus thought baptism was important, then I think we should all see the importance of baptism, right? Makes sense? For us, though, it's a little different than for Jesus. For us, it's our proclamation that we have chosen to follow Jesus, that we have asked him to forgive our sin, and that we've been given the gift of life, life now, life to the full now, and life forever with Jesus in eternity. So again, let me just add, if you know it's about time for you to get baptized, we have shirts, shorts, um, towels, the whole deal. It's okay to be spontaneous about it. Go talk to Lucas towards the back there. Now today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We'll start by looking at verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, that might be a bit of an understatement. I mean, I'd be real hungry after 40 days of not eating, wouldn't you? But what I want you to see there is that word then. It's there to connect what's about to happen with what just happened in chapter 3. Then. In chapter 3, we have the story of Jesus getting baptized, where the voice of God the Father declares over Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Man. I would guess that's a bit of a spiritual high, right? God the Father speaks out these words of affirmation out loud when his son Jesus is baptized. Like, that is kind of awesome. And for many people, baptism is the highlight of their spiritual journey. It's when they declare their, alert, their allegiance to Jesus publicly in front of witnesses. And as they do, they often sense the presence and pleasure of God in a tangible way. Not everyone feels that, but some do. I remember my baptism really well. It was on New Year's Eve when I was 16 years of age. I was at a large church in Toronto, the People's Church, and there were maybe 30 of us getting baptized. For me, I didn't have some sort of electric moment like some do, but it was a deeply significant moment. My brother and I were baptized at the same time, and there was a lot of controversy in my family about it. We were raised Roman Catholic, and my mom kind of saw this as a rejection of our upbringing. It was kind of intense. She did break down and give us her permission, but really not her blessing. She chose not to attend, so neither of my parents attended. It wasn't a big deal to my dad one way or another, but big for mom. Baptism was a defining moment in my life. It was the moment when I went public that I would follow Jesus for the rest of my life, that there was no turning back. It was the moment when my parents finally realized that my faith wasn't just a fad or teenage rebellion, but it was deep and real. You see... Personally, I can't pinpoint the time when faith first became real to me, when I really became a follower of Jesus, a Christian. I don't know exactly when Jesus took up residence in my life and filled me with his Holy Spirit, but I do know when I went public and told the world that I was a follower of Jesus. And friends, 
That was a huge moment in my life. And it was a huge moment in the life of Jesus when he was baptized. But then look what happens. Verse 2 of Matthew 4. Then. Then what? Then the devil. Friends, this is how Satan works. Spiritual highs are often followed by spiritual lows. It, it happens. And yes, for those of you who are wondering, we do believe in a literal devil and a world of demonic beings that are work, uh, attempting to influence us and the world as a whole. No, we're not talking horns, red spandex, and a pitchfork. What I'm talking about, though, is a supernatural being that works in the world for evil and destruction. And when you are new in your faith or when you're making big steps forward in your journey with Jesus, uh, when maybe you, you hear a voice from heaven experience Jesus personally and, and powerfully, uh, don't be surprised if that is followed by a voice from hell. It's a reality that we need to be aware of. Now, baptism is a place of celebration and friendship and joy. It was for Jesus. It is for us. I love baptisms. But what happened next to Jesus after he was baptized is he left those friends and the celebration behind, and he ended up in a dry, cracked, parched Middle Eastern de desert. He went pretty quickly from a spiritual high to a dry desert experience. Part of this was something God the Father was doing in the life of his son, but then the devil jumped in on the action. You see, whenever God does anything great in your life, you've just got to be aware that Satan might be coming next, trying to pull out the seeds that God has planted in your life. Hey, I know some of you, you're going through that right now. Or maybe you're just about to go through it, and I just want you to understand what's going on. Recognize it for what it is. Because this is a point where so many people drop out of church and bail on Jesus. But if you understand what's going on, you'll make it through the desert, grow stronger, and live better. You might be going, ah, oh, what's wrong? God seemed so close. His, his voice so clear. Was it an illusion? Was I, was I imagining all this God stuff? No, no, that's not it at all. It's at that times of spiritual refreshment, times where you experience a spiritual high, where you have a profound experience with Jesus, so often these times are followed by times of testing. Then the devil. Hear me. Please hear me. The fact that you go through a time of temptation and struggle where God feels far away doesn't mean that you are a bad Christian or that God doesn't exist or, or that what you experienced at your baptism wasn't real. Jesus was tempted severely right after his spiritual high, so we should not be surprised if it happens to us. If you're going to follow Jesus at some point in time and more than once, you're going to have a head-on collision with Satan. Head-on collisions with Satan are just part of the reality that we have to live with and learn how to deal with. I know, we, we don't talk a lot about the reality of Satan at work in our world or in our lives, and a, a lot of people think today it's just a bit juvenile and uh, naive to believe in the devil. But when you uh, read the Bible, when you uh, read particularly the New Testament, the, uh, the, uh, what I would call sometimes the Christian scriptures, uh, um, Jesus didn't think it was naive to believe in Satan. Neither did the Apostle Peter or Paul or John. I mean, Satan is mentioned around 250 times in the New Testament, which is like once per chapter if you average it out. People who follow Jesus kind of understand that there is an evil supernatural force at work in the world. When a Christian looks at evil in the world, we see there's got to be something more going on than 
you know, just kind of the misguided survival of the fittest at work, uh, you know, where the strong conquer the weak. My, my dad, in his middle years of adulthood, raising me as his kid, science uh, was his god. He was raised with faith, uh, then rejected faith, and in his later years started to embrace faith once again. But he, he drilled into me this idea that how you explain human survival and which animals are alive today and why evil exists in the world today is all about the survival of the fittest, of the strong conquering the weak. I'm part of what's called the post-war uh, baby boom. It's a period of time from around just after the Second World War to the mid-60s. Um, and... Uh, I'm a little later in that group, and I was taught, you know, just coming my, because my family came and experienced uh, the Second World War, I was taught that the U.S., Canada, and Britain won the Second World War because we were smarter, stronger, and had better bombs. It was the survival of the fittest. You, you had to be strong to survive. My, my dad always wanted me to be stronger and smarter than the other guy so that I would prevail. Uh, my father uh, moved from being a high-tech radar installer defending North America against Russian nuclear attack to being a salesman for a couple of high-tech communication firms with installations all over the world. And my dad took this idea of the survival of the fittest with him into sales. He excelled because he was the best, the smartest at doing what he did. It was the survival of the fittest in a dog-eat-dog -dog world of sales. But later in life, as he aged a bit, that worldview fell short for him. In fact, he lost his job just a little bit before he planned to retire and kind of had to create his own personal business for a while because uh, some younger guys with new ideas, they actually bought out the company, took it over, and they let everyone over 55 go. It was a devastating time in his life. His, guy, his company went from primarily a bunch of guys 45 and over to all 35 and under. It was a massive bloodletting, a getting rid of the old guys, a, a coup by the young, the survival of the fittest, right, uh, in a dog-eat-dog -dog world of business. But friends, there is more at work in our world that accounts for the evil that's happening in our world than simply might makes right and the misguided survival of the fittest. It's, it's much deeper than that. Let me help you understand it this way. If you think that all that was behind the Holocaust was just Hitler exercising his view of Aryan supremacy, the survival of the fittest, I would say that as I read Jesus and the apostles, they, they would say to us, that's just a bit naive. If you think that all that's behind slavery was just economics or racism, that too is naive, or the whole issue of abuse in our residential school system here in Canada and the incredible ongoing tragedy of missing and murdered Aboriginal women, what's that ultimately all about? Where does the evil behind that ultimately come from? Yes, we're responsible for our actions, but there is an evil beyond that is at play. If you think the primary factor in your problem with pornography is that you got issues with self-control, the writers of the New Testament would call that naive and say, no, there is something more going on. And truth be told, there are quite a few of you here today struggling with pornography. So let me just say that the issue of pornography is deeper than just your lack of self-control. And yeah, if you want to talk to me about it, let's connect. There is you know, healing and deliverance available for pornography. Same deal with every addiction. Why does AA point you to a higher power? Because the battle is deeper and stronger than just your lack of self-control. 
And if you think that the conflict that you have at work, that boss that you have, or the management that you work for, that it's just a a matter of poor relational intelligence, just a group of people who suck at being good managers, I'd call that naive. There is more going on. Same deal with that marriage you were struggling with. It's deeper than simply the conflict between two difficult personalities. Or if you think that the bitterness that is creeping into your soul is just the frustration of being misunderstood, that too is just a little naive. The writers of the Bible, writing under the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, they want us to understand that there is a dark side to the world that we live in, that there is an evil one at work stirring up all this darkness. Jesus himself said that there is an enemy whose sole goal is to steal and kill and destroy. The Apostle Peter writes, stay alert. Watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why am I making such a big deal about all this? Because if you do not know who you are really fighting against, if you don't know what's behind all this mess in our world and in your life, you will not know how to fight. And your faith will be wiped out, and you will be another church dropout statistic. And the life you so yearn to live will slip away from you. So this is serious stuff, okay? And by the way, Satan doesn't give a rip if you believe in him or not. In fact, he's probably happier if you don't, because you are most vulnerable to an enemy that you refuse to admit exists, right? Makes sense? It's kind of like Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. He says, Congress is a game of chess, and you must never let your opponent see your pieces. The, the devil treats the world kind of like that, you know? Don't let your opponent see anything. Okay, let's get back to the story of Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness. It's a time of fasting and prayer for him. He, he's looking for a time of spiritual renewal. This is a, a, a time of developing intimacy uh, with his father. And he's hungry. Jesus, in his humanness, gets hungry. You would, too, after 40 days of fasting. I mean... I've done some extended fasts up to about five days. Uh, um, Not to brag or anything, it was just that it's quite the experience, and there's a point where you start to do okay. Um, The first two days were the worst, and I have friends who've done fasting up to 40 days. They don't do it anymore, and once was enough. One guy tried it twice, but that was it. It'd be, right? Uh, But fasting is a spiritual discipline that helps us connect more deeply with God. It's not a popular discipline, but it's definitely something followers of Jesus have done to develop intimacy with God. It's something we can still do and probably should do. But sometimes, when we're seeking God the most fervently, the devil turns up. And watch what the devil does first. Where We're back in chapter 4, now at the third verse. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Did you catch it there? If. If you are the Son of God, what's the devil doing? He's creating doubt. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was baptized? Uh, God the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And now the devil comes along and says, If that's true, but you know, maybe, maybe not, right? Maybe not. You see, one of the biggest tactics that the devil employs today, especially among church-going followers of Jesus, his go-to tactic in your life and my life is to break our confidence in the Word of God, to break our confidence in the Bible. This has been his tactic from the beginning. 
his tactic has been to separate us from the word of God. Those of you who know the story of the Bible, and I appreciate that's not all of you, so don't feel singled out if you don't, but in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you have the story of the Garden of Eden, and the devil shows up to tempt the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, and says, did God really say, come on, did he, re- did he really mean that? Jesus, he, he told a story about a farmer who went out to scatter some seed. And, and as he did, a bird who represents Satan came along and snatches it all up before it could take root. You see, the strategy of Satan is to make you doubt God's word, to, to distract you from God's word, to separate you from God's word. You just end up going to church less and less and have less exposure to God's Word. You, you never read the Bible on your own or, or listen to an audio Bible on your own. You, you just don't let God's Word feed your soul and it kind of goes downward from there. One of the best things that you can do to strengthen your walk with Jesus and build up your defense against the tactics of the evil one is just to immerse yourself in God's Word, especially starting with the New Testament. And even, you know, with the first four books of the New Testament, the story of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And to stand up to Satan's tactics, you need to make getting to church a priority because that's just a key way that you get fed the Word of God. And I'd encourage you, if you miss a Sunday, watch it online and just keep getting God's Word into you. And, you know, this isn't some legalistic law. It's more... It's just that the more you're exposed to the God's word, the more you, you know, listen to the spirit as you're exposed to God's word, the stronger you'll be and the more your life will flourish. God's word is the key to standing strong to whatever Satan throws at you. Now, there are three temptations that the devil throws at Jesus. They're all connected to doubting the word of God. Let's just briefly look at one. So Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days, and the devil comes along and says, if, if you're the Son of God, tell those stones to become bread. But Jesus, using God's word, catch that, Jesus used God's word to push back on the devil. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with bread, right? But here's the reality of this particular situation. The Spirit has led Jesus to the wilderness for a time of fasting and prayer, a time to connect deeply with the Father. This was not a time for bread. This was a time for fasting. So what's Satan's strategy here? It's to take something good and make it more important than God. Let me be crass for a moment. Satan is not tempting Jesus with booze or breasts, but bread, okay? The other things, they can be good in their proper context. So Satan can take a good thing, like a job or a marriage, our our love for our kids, friends, all good things, but we let those things so drive our decisions and those decisions sometimes lead us away from God and the truth of his word because you think, I just gotta have this. I, I want this more than anything. You think, I just can't be single and be happy, right? And God, he's just not working fast enough, so I'll I'll take matters into my own hands and I'll I'll do whatever it takes to meet my need for love and companionship. And the drive for something uh, good, for something, it just becomes more than our passion for Jesus. That's just so common. And in the name of family and for the love of your children and their holistic development, all really good things. You have your kids involved in everything out there, but 
maybe not so consistently attending Kid City. It's not that those trips to Edmonton can't be hockey or baseball are wrong. Not at all. It's that your kids are being starved spiritually and they're not being exposed consistently to God's Word. And if they're not getting God's Word in some consistent way, they become more vulnerable. There is a thief who seeks to destroy. Our kids need God's Word to stand strong and you mean well and all these things are good, but they're separating you and your kids from the Word of God. Just figure that out. Or you say, I have to make more money. I have to get ahead and God's moving too slowly or, or I just need to have the, you know, the approval of a friend. I, I just got to be the best that I can be. And these are good desires, but then they dominate your emotions and control your behavior. What's Jesus' response? He, he quotes a verse from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy where Israel had been wandering in the wilderness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Bread is good. You need bread to live physically, but bread is not enough. You need to be fed by God's Word. It gives you not only life to the full now, but life forever come eternity. So to those of you who are to be baptized in a moment, and really this is for all of us who follow Jesus, friends, if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we can expect some supernatural opposition to come our way. We can expect to experience a few collisions with Satan. There is a devil who is subtle, who mostly works behind the scenes, you know, well beyond what we can see, but he's alive and well, seeking to destroy and particularly destroy faith in Jesus. And he destroys faith by getting us to doubt God's word, to ignore God's word, to be less exposed to God's word, to spend less time in church or in a community group or to spend uh, less time reading the Bible, especially the New Testament. You know, if the devil tried to get Jesus off course, you can expect that he will try to get you off course. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. Actually, it just might mean that you're good enough to be a target. And in the process, you might even blow it and blow it big time. Still doesn't mean you're bad. It's just that you're human and worthy enough to be a target. God understands what you're up against. He doesn't condemn you when you mess up. The devil condemns, not Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit does convict us of sin with a view to saying there's a better way, there's a better life, there's a better way, but the condemnation, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the evil one. But the key to really making it, to, to do well and living well, is to immerse yourself in the things of God. Get to church. Be part of a small group. Serve on a team here at Fort City. Get your kids to Kid City. Develop a few close believing friends who can encourage you and pray for you. Read or listen to the Bible on your own. Spend time with the Bible and get alone with God and, and just, and then pray and ask for prayer when you need it. In fact, come forward for prayer when we make it available here Sunday after Sunday at the end of the services because prayer is powerful. Friends, this is how you resist the devil. The Apostle James sums it up so well. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist the devil with God's word and with prayer. It works. It's powerful. It's what Jesus did. And then one last thought for those of you who are readers or like to listen to audible books. This summer, uh, why not read a classic? Read or listen to the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Lewis writes uh, an imaginary conversation between a junior and senior devil. It's so awesome the way it gives you insight about how to resist the devil with God's word and prayer. Okay, 
I hope I haven't scared anyone off from baptism. There's a bit of a battle when it comes to following Jesus. But Jesus is, is always with us and he's able to give us the victory yeah, we are seeking. The Apostle John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's a promise. When we choose to follow Jesus, we discover that Jesus is intimately interested in helping us to live and love well in this messed up world we're in. He empowers us to love our families better. He empowers us to overcome addictions. He empowers us to be better workers at work, even if our boss is not so awesome. He empowers us to push back on the work of Satan. Really, it's awesome. And today we have several people who have said yes to following Jesus and want to declare that publicly through baptism. These are people in whom the Holy Spirit has taken up residence and the Holy Spirit empowers them to live well and gives them power to push back on the work of the devil. But before I ask them to come forward, let, let's pray. Will, will you bow and pray with me? Father God, you have us living in a world where unseen evil forces are at work at work in our governments, at work in our workplaces, at work in our homes, at work in our lives. And while we're responsible for our own decisions and can't simply say, oh, the devil made me do it, you have mercy and you do not condemn when we fall prey to the evil one's antics. We thank you that you provide for us a way out. So God, would you fill us anew with your Holy Spirit? Your Spirit who empowers us to stand strong, and your spirit who helps us to push back against the work of the evil one. And then as we ask you to fill us with your spirit, we at the same time, we commit to you to being a people who immerse ourselves in your word. We make that commitment to you. God, strengthen us, empower us, fill us as we read your word. Strengthen us and empower us as we expose ourselves to your word through church on Sundays and small groups and serving groups. Build us strong and turn it, just make us a courageous people who live and love well, pushing back the work of the evil one. And for those being baptized, God, would you fill and empower them to live and love well, to live with the ability to overcome sin and mess and addiction. And for all of us, strengthen us with your power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.